Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I'm your host, Ted Harrington, and with me here today is a very special guest, Jocko Bear, the brilliant mind behind Bear Art Pop and a fellow performer from TEDx Frankfurt. Jocko, I'm so psyched to have you on the show. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ted. It's funny, I've been meaning to uh, hit you up and invite you on the show as I intend to invite all the other speakers from TEDx Frankfurt when we all got to be there together. Uh, and then you posted just the other day something about being on a podcast, and I was like, yes, let's do it. And here we are. So we are nine time zones away. You're in the beautiful town of Heidelberg is right outside of Frankfurt. You live in the old town, as you told me. It's late for you, early for me. Thanks for making the time today, man. Yeah, man. No worries. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to have you on the show because I think you can teach our audience a lot about creativity and innovation. And so we'll get into that in a moment. When I first met you, I found you to be an incredibly magnetic person. Like It's hard for this to come across in audio or even video form, but being in the room with you, I felt this like this aura that you have. And I was like, I got to get to know this guy. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks. Proved to be true, that instinct that I had. And you get up on the stage and you perform a couple songs, maybe three songs. And then you talked about this idea of magic tea, which I, I want to ask you about. But first, maybe you could, just for the benefit of our audience, just talk about who you are as an, as an artist and like what inspires you from in terms of creativity to create music. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Really a pleasure to be here today, Ted. And as far as who who am I as an artist, I think that's something that like I'm definitely still like trying to figure out myself. <laughs> but I've been making, I've been performing music since 2009. So it's about 13 years that I've been a live performer. And uh, I'd say I'm primarily a songwriter. Like that's like my main, my main shtick, my main thing. And so on the back of that, I've, I've you know, produced a number of records and yeah my most current one is a is one that was created during lockdown it's sort of a lo-fi a lo-fi acoustic album recorded on cassette tape actually i love that yeah so i think a lot of people probably consider themselves when it comes to creativity in a in a binary sense either they quote unquote are creative or they quote unquote are not creative do you think that is a proper way that we should think about creativity or is that a false dichotomy? Good question, man. Uh, I've definitely thought about this for a while. And I, I mean, for me, it's it's absolutely false. Like to me, like that creative spark is in everyone, right? It's just a matter of like what you focus on and what you choose to uh, to focus on. And for sure, it seems like it comes to some people sort of more naturally than others but that really just depends on on how you frame it i think and a, a lot of the time it's like us convincing ourselves that we're not creative because of because we're afraid right because there's like some fear i mean even <laughs> even creatives do that you know even people that would consider themselves creative are like trying constantly trying to you know self sabotage 
and are afraid of their own creativity or doubt it. That's a fascinating way you just frame that. I hadn't thought of it in terms of we talk ourselves out of being something. And we're talking about creativity right now, but this could be anything, right? This could be yeah. people who believe they're leaders or believe that they're entrepreneurs or believe they're innovators. We're talking about creativity, but people talk themselves out of it. And you talk about the fear. That's really fascinating. I, I have this friend of mine who is in the process of writing a book. And I think this book is going to be incredible. It's, it's to help CTOs become better CTOs. And it's coming out in February. And I texted him last night to ask him how it was going. And his answer was basically along the lines of, I hate this. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, I don't think I want to write this book anymore. He didn't say it quite that way. Yeah. But I was like, I think that I was like, I don't know, man, but I think that might be the fear showing up. Like you're doing hard things is scary. And we, it's kind of like what you're saying. We talk ourselves out of things that are scary, right? 100%. And it's like part of the the cycle too, right? Of like a creative cycle. I think it's Austin Kleon. Have you read those books? Like his like Steal Like an Artist? No. Austin Kleon? No. Oh, it's it's like a definite recommendation. And he talks about like the cycle of like every creative project. And it's, it's I mean, it's like sort of like a, a mock graph, you know, that shows sort of like this like upwards motion and then this like deep valley where you're like this is shit kind of thing like this <laughs> this uh this creative project whatever i'm working on is not going to be as good as i envisioned it and i think it's just like it's like part of the process to like go through that phase of self-doubt and uh, hopefully you come out the other side and maybe you're like i think you and his graph he comes out the other side and it's like it's not as good as you originally had hoped it to be but you're like oh this is actually pretty pretty good you know pretty solid you know yeah that's interesting too to think about maybe once you're in that sort of valley of doubt, that's a signal that, hey, I'm close because this always happens. 100%. Yeah. Do you have that too? Like when you're about to like close some sort of a, a finish something, finish, like when you finish, what about when you were writing your book? I, oh my God, I, I had fear the whole way along. That was, that was one of the things I was really grateful for that I had the publisher I worked with. They, they also did a lot of coaching. And that was like the first thing they did when I committed to writing the book was they sat everyone down because uh, I was at the time going through this with a bunch of other authors and they sat us all down and they were like, let's talk about fear. And I'm like, what? No, let's talk about like sentence structure or something like something more concrete. And we did this whole fear setting exercise and it was really good because I had all these moments throughout where I was like, uh, as an example, you have to, at certain points, you have to commit to a manuscript, right? And when you commit, right. it costs a bunch of money to undo what you just agreed is final. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so I would like want to sit on it for days or weeks. But then I was like, no, this is the fear. It's not going to get any better. Yeah. If it can get better, do that thing. If it's not going to get better, just commit. And so I totally experienced what you just described. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. So how do you then, so creative things are, and we're talking about music, but I think our audience is probably applying this in their own mind. They're like a project that they're working on or a problem they're trying to solve, an engineering challenge, whatever. All the principles apply the same. So when you're talking about something that's creative, inherently, that is not easily measured, right? So you described it as once you get past that valley of despair, it might not be as good as you originally hoped it was going to be, but you realize it's still pretty good. How do you measure if creativity is good? Jeez. How do you measure if creativity is good? It's a good question. I mean, I don't have the answer to this either, but <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, you know, like, I guess that comes down to the question, what is good in the <laughs> anyway, like, and so which is like, especially with creative endeavors, or at least with artistic endeavors, it's very relative, a lot of the time. 
I think it, I think that maybe it has a lot to do with the spark you feel in the process. I think there's no, there's no saying like, you know, and this is, this is a thing that's really tricky in the music industry to measure all the time, because like so much of the time, the songs and the records that are being produced are measured like basically solely or basically on the basis uh, of, of the financial success, right? Like the, and, and, or maybe not the financial success, but the reach and some combination of those two things, right? Which of course is just one way to measure it, right? So how do you measure whether it's creatively successful? What's your own metric? <laughs> Ted, that's such a big question. What's your goal? Yeah. Yeah. Right, here, write a book about the answer to this. Right. Like if you've if you've set a specific goal for your creativity and for that project, then I guess you can you can quite easily measure that, right? Mm -hmm. But like whether creativity is successful or not, that's much more difficult to measure, I think. Well, let's bring it to something more concrete for you. So you've written many songs. At some point you say this song is good to release. Yeah. What are the factors that go into your mind when you make that decision? Well, I think that like, obviously you want to sort of have a feeling that you have created this to like the utmost of your capabilities at that point as a songwriter or producer, right? So you want to have a sense that the quality of your product is like really good, uh, or at least as good as you can make it. And you, you, I think like it really, a lot of songwriters say this, it has a lot to do with sort of the, the emotion you capture in your first songwriting like session and sort of like the way that that idea moves you the first moment. And if you can retain that and sort of carry that through the songwriting process, then very often you've sort of got like a, a product that ha carries that spark, that carries that idea and that can also animate and an audience and can like captivate an audience. But it's super tricky, right? Because like we're all like testing out our stuff, especially as as beginners and starting out in venues that maybe don't suit your music or don't suit like, you know, your product. It's it's really hard to get sort of a clear, some clear feedback on that and and get a sense for like, A, how good are you really, you know, or B, just like how how good is is this particular song or record that you've put out? It's so interesting to me because you're talking about writing music and I doubt many of our listeners are producing music. Actually, many of them are probably are musically talented, but that's not their profession. But everything you've just described sounds exactly like solving a problem, an engineering problem too, right? So you go in, you, you identify a challenge that we're you know trying to solve for a particular audience. We're inspired to try to solve it and invest the time, effort, money, resources to do that and then galvanize a group of people around trying to do it. And at the end we say, did we get even close? Well, we don't know until we actually try to roll the solution out and we see what the market says about it. That's what you just described in different words, more or less. Right, and then on top of that, there's the layer of like, even if the market values it highly or doesn't care about it, like that again is like the question, does that mean that the creativity was like not valid or not? successful like that's the that's the question on top of that right but absolutely a lot of people are writing songs and working in that sort of more problem oriented way sort of like clearly focusing in your audience you can definitely get a better result a lot of people work with reference tracks right which i'm sure exists probably in in your industry as well you've got sort of a reference program or something i'm guessing that you're sort of modeling it around and people do that with songs so like you know you'll listen to us a famous pop song and try and create something similar mm -hmm. like the similar bones around what made that successful yeah certainly yeah right i'm holding in my hand 
an envelope that you gave me. It's your magic tea. I've been hanging on to this for my parents are going to come visit in a few weeks, and they really like tea. And so I want to experience magic tea with them. So tell our audience, take us on the journey that you described to me when we were together in Frankfurt about magic tea. So I want to I want to explore like where this idea came from, the commercial aspect to it, and you know why it's supporting you as an entrepreneur who is a creative. So tell me about magic tea. Sure, I'd love to. Thank you for asking, Ted. So magic tea is the name of my of my most recent album. And basically, the the songs sort of came to me during like one of the lockdown periods, the first lockdown period, Corona, when Corona first hit. So March 2020, I sort of started working on it. And these songs sort of started pouring out of me in a way like in, in sort of one fluid motion in a way that I hadn't had like that before. So it was kind of special in that way. And it was very much like a soothing experience like it was about me strumming my guitar singing and like being soothed in the face of like you know a canceled tour or like basically like a quest big question mark where my income used to be you know and so these songs were created and then I decided I really wanted to record this on cassette tape in the black forest so we went to a cabin and we recorded on an old you know 1970s analog four track tape recorder so that was like kind of every one of my album projects I like I like it to feel like an adventure so I kind of create little challenges and ways to do it that feel exciting and in the process of making this music I was drinking a lot of tea <laughs> you know it was like sitting at home writing these songs drinking a lot of tea and I was like I just, the idea came to me based on a title for, for a song I had written, I think 10 years ago that was titled Magic Tea, the song was. And I was like, what, how cool would it be if you had like an actual herbal tea, custom, a custom tea that went hand in hand with a musical album, you know, and trying to see like, has anyone done that before? And at that point, that, that wasn't even the, the leading question. It was just like, this, this could be really cool, especially in light of the social distancing situation, no shows were possible. I basically started forming a plan to send my fans little packages with tea. And then we did a Zoom concert with 400 fans, you know, spread throughout the world. There was people in, in Asia and in, in the US and Canada and in Europe and sort of all over. Um, and I was I played a, a Zoom performance and everyone had my tea at home. You know, and so the other the other little like I guess feature that I built into this tea, I wanted to be like multi-sensory this whole experience, right? So you're listening to the to the music, you've got this tea, this warm tea that's soothing you as well. And then the sort of feature I added was that the tea itself kind of has a bluish green color. And if you add lemon to the tea, which we did sort of halfway through the show, it transforms into like pink, red, kind of a color visualizer that starts happening there so so it was like sort of like an analog um you know multi-sensory album and it, it kind of turned into this giant concept album in the end you know it started out with just a couple of songs but it turned into this sort of whole experience and i've sort of been trying different things off that basic concept i've been trying different things with my music and with this tea and i thought it was re would be really interesting to try and introduce it in some cafes and sort of see what happens when people get to try the tea first, you know, so that they like they order the tea and at these cafes, you, you get like a little business card with like a QR code and you can stream my music for free off the off of that business card. So it's been interesting to see 
sort of some crossover effects. And uh, you were asking sort of about like the business side or the or the commercial side, I guess, of this. And in, in many ways, that has been like an experiment to try and see, is there other like paths we can create? I mean, you know all about this, right? Like, <laughs> is there another channel we can use, you know, and create sort of crossover effects and benefits based on uh, this other physical product that's in the mix? One of the things that really jumped out to me when you were sharing with me some of the background on the just the, the tea industry, I, I had no idea about this. You were, I forget what the stat was. Maybe you could remind me. But it's something like all money produced by buying songs is like some small percentage of all tea bought in the world. What, what was that correlation? Oh, so like I, you probably shouldn't quote me on these numbers. Like uh, you might want to get the fact checker in, but this was like my uh, information based off of like the last couple of years, a couple of music podcasts I listened to and stuff like that. But the music industry, if you're talking about music outside of these other products that music sells, right? Music streaming on its own is like not a very big industry. I think it, the numbers were something like about 20 billion, 25 billion, something like that worldwide. In Germany, it's about two billion a year, like turnover sort of in that industry. And the tea industry worldwide is somewhere between three hundred and four hundred billion. Like that was that; those were like the numbers that that uh, you know were were given to me or that I found based on this. Of course, uh, it's a completely different product, but it is amazing. Like this is something that I see again and again. It's amazing how much attention the music industry gets, sort of like top level attention. Like so many people know these stars and, and and these labels or whatever right like people know all these musicians but really they're not generating that much revenue for the for the amount of attention they're getting you know that that kind of uh, is a shocking fact to me like yeah yeah it's fascinating i mean those numbers like you said they you know maybe a fact checker needs to confirm but if we're talking about we're still we're talking about your your thought process so whether the numbers are accurate or not is actually less important. And what's more important is you were presented with data and you use that data to inform a decision about how to take your craft and adapt. And I think that's what a lot of people who listen to a show like this are looking for is how do I, how do I connect these seemingly unconnectable dots? And you saw something that's like, Hey, that, that market over there is like 15 times the size of the market that I'm in of which I have this little speck of a corner in. Maybe I can blow up if I go connect these two things that seemingly have no relation to each other. Yeah, yeah. How did you, so walk me through that moment when you, you saw this opportunity in T, you knew you were doing this sort of performative thing already and you said, can I commercialize this? Talk, talk us through your thought process. So like I've been, you know, an independent artist for, yeah, like I said, about 13 years. And so like, you know, from the very beginning, I've been trying to figure out ways to monetize it. And I've been sort of watching the music industry. And we all know that, like, you know, it's a it's a tough industry to break into. And there's a lot of, you know, myth and legend. There's a lot of like this sort of hopeful vibe going on, especially with new artists of like, oh, you know, you hope you're going to get discovered and then somehow blow up. And then <laughs> magically all of your like your career will be sort of like smooth sailing from then. Which, you know, hopefully at this point, we all know that that in mo that can happen, but in most cases, either either it is short lived or um, you are not sort of like the, in control of that in the end, right? Like you're not the driver in that situation, which is not something 
I was up for. And so like, I've been looking for ways to, you know, come up with innovative solutions as far as monetization goes, because let's face it, like streaming for small artists is not really a viable option financially. And you need to be playing a lot live if you, if you want to make a living with it. And the other thing that you can do is, is merch, of course, and various versions of that. And merch is the only thing that's really scalable. And so that was like one of the main points for me. I was like, okay, I can't play more than, you know, you know, I don't know, 50 to 100 shows a year because there's a limited amount of nights you can go out and, and tour. But merch is really something you can you can scale. So that was like I th- probably the main factor because I, I want to reach like, you know, a, a high level of independence as an artist to be able to, you know, create what I want to create based off of my own finances and not off of a third party, you know? So that was the, the main thing. And then I started looking into, into options. And in this case, it really was, a, uh, the idea came to me in connection with this musical album. And I thought this is something really cool to try out. And um, then I, I, I took the next steps and found partners to help me make the tea. And, you know, we, I applied for some some grants here to make that first phase a possibility and and can create a create a prototype and we tested it out with my fans throughout the world and now we're sort of like in the next phase of trying to implement and scale it ultimately like we've got the product but now it needs to get out to the right people and people need to become aware of it you know mm-hmm. i love it you're you are describing a startup right now the the journey that you've been on and you're sort of in that you're maybe have already or are close to establishing product market fit and now how do, how do you scale it? And what's interesting to me about hearing you describe that is removing the throttles to growth. And for a lot of high growth companies, and they realize this pretty quickly, but the throttle is usually the founders, right? The founders or the executive team who are very passionate about the project, are very capable, but their time is limited. And leaders have a hard time sometimes with the idea of letting go of that control. It's so funny that that like is that's exactly the point I'm at, you know. Do you think that so when you had that moment where you start bringing in partners and you have to satisfy people who are giving you these grants and stuff like this, you're now you're ceding to some extent some of the control, other people are doing things for you. How did you make peace with that as a creative person that you now have other people doing certain aspects of the work for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So my experience like for sure Thankfully, even with this grant, there was a high level of creative freedom that I had. So like people weren't telling me what to create, but there was, you know, certain stipulations that came with it in terms of what, what I could use the money for. So obviously they're just trying to find a good fit for, for that to like still maximize effectivity with with the use of, of that money. But as far as like working with other people and that collaborative process, I think that like my experience has almost always been that it's gotten better when relying on or when trusting some of these other professionals in their in their field. So I worked like really closely with a graphic designer, for example, for this this product. And that was really good. Like I think that usually, like you said, if if I when I whenever I can manage to relinquish some of that control and pass it off to someone I trust, usually it it kind of is a potential to grow the whole thing. And that's kind of been my experience. So thankfully, I didn't have too many of the negative effects of that this time around. Didn't experience too much of that. I like the way you just framed that, that letting go is the key to growth. 
that's how we build things. Awesome, man. Well, as our time comes to a close here, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that in this creativity, innovation topic area that I should have or that you want to leave our audience with? Sure. Well, I, I want to say thank you. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. This has been really fun. It's like, my, I think, my second podcast, podcast, so like pretty exciting, pretty exciting. I think that, you know, part of what the reason that I'm doing this and part of what I'm passionate about is like bringing back more control and options to the creators themselves, to the artists themselves that are making the music, that are making the art. So I think that it's like time for some change within within my industry in particular and I hope that these types of projects that create a secondary product or a secondary sort of business around your art are ones that you know can can empower artists to be more free and ultimately to have to relinquish less of that control on the creative side that we were just talking about for their for their art to reach people because like art to me is like one of the most powerful products there is but it's one of the hardest to to charge for, <laughs> to monetize, you know? Yeah, it's because it's, it's so ethereal in a way, right? It's so hard to grasp. But um, I, yeah, so I'm excited to, to try new things with that and I'm really, really pleased to have a listening here. Thank you for having me, man. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today. I thought I learned a lot from you already and I think our audience will too. And uh, by the time this episode airs, hopefully the video for your performance will be out and we'll make sure to include a clip to that. If so, if not, we'll send it out to people when it does. So, Jocko, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Ted. Thank you so much for having me. For everyone else listening, if you want to learn more about what Jocko's up to or about the show itself, just head over to tedharrington.com backslash podcast and we'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.